right. Very good. Well, that was great. Thank you guys for that. Make sure that you uh, greet these folks afterwards. Um, you know, I, it's been told to me, and maybe to you as well, that um, universals, universal statements are bad things, especially in relationship. Have you heard that? Has anyone ever given you that relational advice? Always, never, sometimes, you know, right, don't say that. Uh, I'm going to push on that. I'm not sure that's always true. So, men, uh, tell me if this is right. Um, sharpening a pencil with a knife always makes you feel more manly. Men, you're at a fire, poking it with a stick always makes you feel more manly. Huh? Thank you. I think there was a female who said that. I don't know who that was. Grandparents know this, and moms know this. If you cut a sandwich as a triangle instead of a rectangle, it always tastes better. Right? For your grandkids. Um, you know, these, <laughs> these statements, I got one more, I think. I think, I don't know if everyone, well, let's say everyone for the fun of universals, everyone has in their family someone who tried to steal your nose when you were little, right? Yeah, and some of you are doing it right now. So, and, and the, here's another weird one. I don't understand this one. I think dogs always act a certain way. Dogs seem to be always irritated when you blow on their face. But when you drive in the car, they always stick their head out the window. And so I don't understand that. Uh, maybe, maybe you do. But there are certain things. So I'm going to push on that and say universals may not be all that, that, uh, that bad. Like there may be some things that are universally true for life. But the truth is, like, I don't like universals applied to me. And I don't think you like them applied to you. Just this week in our house, I mean, I'm not going to put any, I'm not going to say anything too much, but... There may have been a universal applied to me this week that may not have been fair. I'm not going to, I mean, anyway, all right. We were, um, I, I heard a comment that I'm always late. Now, here's the, here's the thing. All I have to do is prove that one time in my life I was on time. And I can be late the rest of my life, but one time, that's all I need, right? Right, yeah. Let me tell you, that works out really well when you're in the middle of an argument, when you do things like that, by the way. Um, some of you are um, driving along. Uh, we have some drivers in our, in our house who are still getting used to driving. I'm not going to mention any names. But sometimes people might say, well, you always speed. Now, again, all you have to do is say, listen, I don't always speed. When I stop at the stop sign on my way past 45, I go 45 for at least a second, right? And then I may go past that, but I'm not always technically speeding. That universal isn't fair, and I don't like it, and I don't think you like it either. But there are, and I think you know this, there are universals that ground us, and we all agree on them, whether we like them or not, and some things are just universally true. Gravity is a force on Earth that we all deal with. We fall at 32 feet per second squared, I believe, is what we do. Humans are mortal. We all kind of, whether we like it or not, it's a universal. The earth revolves around the sun. It's kind of a universal. We just accept that. But universals are hard because I am not consistently good enough or bad enough to do something all, all the time. And I really don't like it when someone says, oh, he is, and then labels me, he's always this way or he's always that way. Because I will fight against it, and I think you will too. So this morning, I want to introduce to you a universal statement. And then I want to invite you to fight it. 
internally. And I don't even think I have to invite you to, because I think you will by default, because you're smart people. Here's what I want to say. Love, there is nothing, there is nothing that love cannot face. There is absolutely nothing that love cannot face. Now, I want you, if you are thinking with me this morning, let's say you're having an incredible day, an incredible season of your life, everything's going really well. You may be like, man, that makes sense. Um, everything's going well. You're right. There's nothing that love cannot face. Um, my life is full of Hallmark cards and movies and rainbows and unicorns, and it's just a beautiful, amazing life. And yeah, it's great. But some of you are like, listen, are you serious? Um, let me push on that a little bit. Do you know my story of abuse? Have you ever met my ex? Have you met the friend who betrayed me? Did you ever meet the boss who told me I would get something and then fired me a week later? I mean, do you understand that I'm dealing with some health stuff that I never agreed to deal with, and now I'm dealing with it? Have you met my kids? You met my parents. And I'm standing up here saying, I'm going to give to you a universal that I want to invite you to push back on. There is nothing, even to the depths that love cannot face. By the way, this is not my idea. In fact, if it were my idea, I don't think I would put it up here. I would put it up here, most things love can face. But I don't think I have that choice because of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. So if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible with you, zero problem. There's one in the chair near you. That's our gift to you if you don't own a Bible. You can turn in your phone or in the Bible in the pew or chair, excuse me, the row. To 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're in this series called The Greatest because the greatest of these is love. These things remain faith, open love, and the greatest is love. So we're talking about love and the challenge of it, and Paul is writing to an early church. He wasn't writing to people who are getting married. He was writing to an early church. They're trying to figure out how do we work together as a people, almost like what we're doing with, with membership here with Dave and Linda coming in. You know, how do we bring Dave and Linda in and their personalities and gifts and Linda we like and Dave we're not sure about. You know, how do we, how do, we do all that together? Just kidding, mostly. Um, you know, how do we do all that together? What does it look like to love people together well with all of our backgrounds and stuff? And Paul writes this thing here in 1 Corinthians 13, and we're just going to cover verse 7 this morning. You'll have it in front of you. I'm going to put it up here too just because I want to go over it on the screen in a minute. But here's what he says in verse 7. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. If you have a different version, I'm just going to read the English Standard Version, or ESV. It sounds a lot like the New American Standard, because again, it's universal there. It says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. These four words Paul attributes a universal statement to. Always, 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 and always. And in the ESV, it's all, 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 all. He's making a case that there's a universality to love that when we actually slow down our lives and look at it and think about it and filter it with the people that we know and the way that we see the world is a hard way to look at love. But it's not my idea. It's not your idea. It's God's idea. So let's look at this here for a minute. Love always protects. Here's what I want to do. I want to go through what these words mean and then talk about our objections to it and then ask you one question to wrap it up, okay? So let's look at this real quick. Love, it always protects. It always protects. What does it mean to protect? Here's what that word means. It means to put up with annoyance or difficulty. That would be putting up with me when I was a child, <laughs> or when I'm not, or when I act like a child as an adult. That's also a possibility. I remember as a kid, I would, um, 
me and my sister would be assigned to dishwashing and uh, drying duties. There was no dishwashers in Barbados where I grew up, generally speaking. We were the dishwashers. And so when I realized, and I told some of you this before, when um, one night my sister would wash and I would dry, drying was the better deal. You know why? If you delay long enough, the dishes dry themselves and then you just put them away. Well, I knew that was the case, and so when she was her turn to, to dry, I would, when I'm done washing, we would leave the kitchen, and sometimes we would get permission to come back and dry them later. Okay. Well, I would sneak into the kitchen and wet them every couple minutes, like, just to keep it going so that she would have to dry them. I thought that was really helpful for building her character. But love puts up with annoyance, a little brother puts up with annoyance and difficulty. The word is protect because it comes from this idea of covering. Uh, my parents would understand that as a younger kid, I would do things like this, and it's annoying. And it's annoying when it comes to you as a parent. But as a parent, you're big enough, you're old enough, you're mature enough to say, I'm going to cover your offense with love. And instead of you, me kicking you out of the house because you're wetting the dishes, or I would complain like crazy about going to church on Sunday mornings because it bored me to tears. I hated going. And I would tr pretend to be sick on Sundays and well again on Mondays to go to school because it just was so hard for me. And they knew this. They weren't dumb. They understood what I was trying to do. But they gently guided me through that and covered me with their parenting. They protected me rather than just kicking me to the curb and saying, well, that's it, you're out. And this is what good parents do is it protects. Now, it's harder when it's adult to adult. When another adult is annoying and difficult, I'm more ready to kick you to the curb. Like, you should know better. Aren't you an adult? But Paul says about love is it has a protective quality that when things are annoying and difficult, love always covers that person. That's what it does. It says, yes, you are annoying, and yes, I'm going to love you always. <laughs> goes on. Love always protects. It always trusts. And here's what that means. To believe to the extent of complete trust and reliance. This, by the way, is where every good relationship should start. It should start with a sense of belief and trust in the other person. What often happens, and you know this in relationships, is we begin to offend each other and pull apart, and there's gaps that form in relationships. And we can fill those gaps with suspicion and doubt and fear. But love fills them with trust, and it says, what you did there, that wasn't thoughtful, that was hard. I'm not sure I can trust you, but I want to always trust, and so I'm going to move toward you to learn how to rebuild some of that trust. It believes to the extent of complete trust and reliance. I saw this on Facebook this week. A friend of mine from Dallas, um, he posted a link to his son's new um, single that, his album, that was released by his, uh, his band. It's a small little garage band, and they released a, a single on Spotify. And the dad was saying like, hey, this is going to be a, this is a great song. You should listen to it. Well, I'm going to be honest. I'm like, really? Really? Do I really think that his son's band is going to be awesome? And I'm like, I, I don't think that. And so I have a hard heart that I need to confess. But here's what he was saying. He's like, as a dad, like, I trust it. Like, I want to give to you my trust, son. It wasn't a great song. It wasn't terrible. But what I'm getting if I'm his kid is like, here's a, 
Here's a dad who trusts me. And he's going to put that out there and say, I got, I got trust in you. He kind of gives to him. They trust in what can be a future that maybe on his own that kid will not have on his own. All right, so love always trusts. Love always, here's a third one, love always hopes. What does that mean? Real simply, it means to look forward with confidence to that which is good and beneficial. Let me pause on that for a minute. Here's how I see that. When love looks forward with confidence to what is good and beneficial, love is saying, in my judgment of you, I'm going to keep an eye on the future, not just on the present. I won't only judge you for this moment. I realize that there is a future to our relationship that I'm going to keep in mind right here. It says that the offense that we have doesn't need to be permanent. Love doesn't just stay in the present moment and where the hurt is. It says there's something that I want to hope for going forward. Sometimes that's really, really difficult. We see this sometimes with public figures who may have fallen. Maybe a, a politician may have had an affair with, with someone. And sometimes the wife stays with them. Why? And they talk about this. They talk about their hope of what can be. We hope to be restored. We hope to build back a better marriage and all this kind of thing. And that is a great example of what it means to hope, to say love is going to not just take this present offense and make it be permanent. It doesn't need to be. It might be my default because it hurts so much. But love says, hold on, right now is not the only time that I need to think about. I'm not going to let this offense be a permanent judgment on all the future times that I may share with you. Finally, love always perseveres. Again, this is fairly straightforward in what he's saying, but it's difficult to actually do. He said, this is to continue to bear up despite difficulty and suffering. This is, again, the model of the person who says, instead of leaving you, I'm going to stay. Instead of, instead of being the one who quickly walks out, I'm going to work with you. Instead of avoiding conversations with you and avoiding the difficult things, I'm going to step into, I'm going to show, and here's our definition of love for this series, a warm regard and interest in you. I'm going to persevere through all of the junk that is here. Now, when you put all this together, and here's this verse again, just drop it down. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. And just notice that there are two, two actions that occur in the present and two occur in the future. In the current moment, I can protect and I can persevere. That's my choice for the present. When I engage with you and when you engage with me, there's a call to right here in this day and age, I'm going to cover you with that which is annoying or difficult, and I'm going to choose to stay rather than leave. This is a present decision. But yet it's anchored to and it's built to a vision of a future, and trust and hope is about the future of what can be. Trusting says what is happening now is not always going to be what is. There is a future in which this kid's band is going to be better than it was today. And I'm going to trust in that future and give you a little bit of that trust because I'm looking for that. Hope is the same way. It says, I'm not going to hold this current momentary offense against you so much that I'm unwilling to look forward to a future with you that could be different than what it is today. And so love does this amazing thing is it combines a present choice to protect, to cover, to stay to be long-suffering is what old language would be, but then also to have it geared toward and anchored toward a vision of a future of what could be a hopeful, trusting future in our relationships. Now, let me push on this just a little bit more. 
Do you remember your uh, objection early on? Do you have your question in your mind? But what about, what about my hard situation? But what about, what about when things just go really south and really wrong? What about abuse? What about divorces? What about significant betrayals? Trauma that's very real. And I will never dismiss the reality of any of those and the pain of what they cause. And I'm not trying to say that we have to be Mr. Nice Guy all the time and get rolled over without talking about our feelings, without engaging the pain of the past. There are many times I would argue that it's helpful not to re-engage a friendship the way it had been before and that that can still be a loving thing to do, to have distance for a number of reasons. So don't hear me saying that everybody must close every gap, everybody must hold hands together and renew all relationships the way they previously were, and everything must be forced to be this pie-in-the-sky, naive, pink and purple and fluffy and cloudy and I don't know what other soft words you can think of, just future. But what about, now the, the problem with this, so, so, I mean, two, so let me say two things on this. One, this question is fair and right to ask, ask it. But what about this situation, your situation? It can lead to really good conversation. And love is a very nuanced and complicated thing. I've wrote about that in some of my emails that I've sent out to you, how love is ordered um, and love, uh, love's priorities overlap sometimes. And love can get very challenging to know how to apply. I get that. And so asking, well, what about, Tim, if you're saying that love is a universal in this way, that love can't, there's nothing that love cannot face. What about this hard situation? I want to encourage you to have that. At the same time, I want to encourage one other thing for you to think about. That sometimes when we ask this question, not all the time, but sometimes we fall into a trap that's called this, called whataboutism. Have you heard about that one before? Whataboutism, I didn't really realize that was a word, but uh, my spell check doesn't like the word, but it actually is a word. And it's, believe it or not, it's a propaganda tool that many governments use to change the way we think about information. And what it essentially does, what it essentially does, I'll put it this way, whataboutism is really, it's a way to deflect attention from one issue by bringing up another often unrelated problem. Here's how it works in politics. A politician is asked, in these days especially, can you please tell me, for example, your view on Roe v. Wade, let's say. To which they would say, you really want to talk about that? Have you not been to the gas pump recently and seen the cost of gas? You're interested in that when we need to talk about the economy? But what about the economy? Well, I'm not asking about the economy. I'm asking about your view on this. But what about this? It happened to me when I was a kid when my sister would connive all of the bad things we did, and I never had any of responsibility for that. She was always the mastermind. She was older than me. That's a true statement. The old part is a true statement. That's the only truth about that. But let's just say that she decided, you know what, Tim, it's a couple minutes before dinner, and I smell the good chocolate chip cookies. Why don't you go to the kitchen and grab a couple for us, and we can get a little bit before dinner, right? So I go out, and I grab a couple. Well, who gets caught grabbing the cookies, right? So my instinct when I get caught grabbing the cookies... <laughs> But what about my sister? That's my instinct, right? I'm not, 
I don't have an instinct of like, oh, thank you for catching me so that I can learn not to cross boundaries that I shouldn't cross. <laughs> no. My instinct is whataboutism. I want to deflect my responsibility to an unrelated issue, and that is my sister's autonomy. I want parents, you to look at her, I'm going to run away. But what about my sister? What about her? What about her? We do this, we do this all the time. We have global poverty. Yeah, but what about the problems in our community? And we deflect responsibility for something going on overseas because we say, yeah, but what about what's happening right here? And we create a dichotomy where we allow ourselves then not to be responsible or even concerned about the other issue because we split it. And we think now for, I don't have a responsibility anymore. And here's where this comes into play in this. Love is universal. Love, there's nothing that love cannot face. Yeah, but what about, what about my ex? And what we can do is when we deflect, we can give ourselves a pass to say, yeah, okay, that's fine, but what about this? And instead of being a legitimate conversation, it can turn into an excuse for us. Here's what Jesus had to say. These verses, by the way, in 1 Corinthians 13, if this is all we had in the Bible about love, I would be like, uh, let's soften this a little bit. Here's, here's what Jesus has to say. You may have heard this part before. You know where this comes from? Sermon on the Mount. Here's, what it's, here's how it begins. He said, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his sun to shine on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people... What are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Enemy love? Are you serious? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you? One author, his name is um, Eli Stanley Jones, he put it this way. He said, try this method of love, this method, enemy love. Try this method of love on a tiger and tell me what happens. The way we translate that is, try that method of love on my enemy and tell me what happens. Tell me what happens. But what about? Yeah, but what about? But what about them? I mean, for real, come on, what about them? Have you seen what they did? Have you felt the pain that's been caused to me? But what about? Come on, what about? If this were all we had, I'd still be like, eh, I want to push on this. This enemy love is strong. We also read this, and... 1 John 4, 16, God is love, and whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. So however we read love, I have to say, if God defines love, if I'm willing to walk away from an enemy, even one who has hurt me so deeply, without a consideration of what love requires, I have to at least ask Am I living in God or not? Romans 5.8, this way, check it out. But God demonstrates his own love for us. In this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Just think about that for a minute. Put this 
person in your mind who is in this situation who may be your enemy? Can I say that I'll demonstrate my own love to all people in this. While someone sinned against me, while they were still in their sin against me, while they still had offended me and still hurt me and still were so far from me, while they were still there, I'm willing to love them to the extent of giving my life for them. Because that's what God did for me. That's what he did for you in Christ. I'm going to be honest with you. This is not my idea, and I don't like it. I wrestle with this one deeply. I'm not telling you this because I think it's my idea. I'm just telling you what I think God says, and I don't even know how to do it all. But it's what is there, and I don't want to water it down. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners and we're far from him, that's when he's like, I'm coming for you because I love you. Romans 8, last one. For I'm convinced, Paul writes, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You maybe have heard that before. I want to encourage you. Have you ever put yourself up against that verse and said, of all my offenses... Of all my weaknesses and flaws, I am a recipient of a kind of love from God in which I can never escape. (laughs) So let's say you you blew it this week. Let's say you blew it this month. Let's say you blew it in the past 10 years of your life. What Paul's saying is, friends, sit, sit easy in judgment. Sit easy on condemnation. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, the love of God is so ridiculously strong that even in your worst moments, there's nothing that you can do that can separate you ever from the love of God that's in Christ. And when I apprehend that, when that comes into me, what a, what a moment of warmth and refreshment and renewal of my own heart. And I don't know if you've ever felt that, but that's what this verse is saying. Now, here's the problem. My enemy can claim the same verse for them. And now I have a problem. Because if I'm here, and I'm saying, God, thank you for bringing me into your family and loving me so much that nothing can separate me from you. And this person over here, who I've given myself a pass not to love, is claiming the same verse and is now in the same family. Hmm. What do I do with that? Because they're now a brother or sister in the recipient of God's incredible love. And I have to ask, am I willing in the family to show the kind of love that the Father so willingly gave to me? And so here's my question as we come to the end of this. Here's my question. Is it possible that my reason for withholding always love is actually an excuse? Is it possible that in your life and in my life that the reasons that I have that are probably good reasons, at least I think, for withholding and always protecting, always trusting, always hoping, and always persevering. There's reasons I have for withholding that from some people. Are they reasons 
Or is it possible that it is an excuse and that a whataboutism is actually keeping me from living in the love of God that has been so freely given to me? Is it possible? Is it possible? And with this last question, I push it one step further. Is there a relationship for you? Is there a relationship for me that I might need to reconsider? Not because I want to. Goodness, I don't want to. I'm not asking if you want to. <laughs> and uh, as I've said a couple times, this isn't, friends, my idea. I am not telling you my ideas. I'm just reading to you what God says and we all, myself included, get to wrestle with the implications of what this means. But I just don't want for you, and I just don't want for me, to look at this and say, there's nothing love cannot face except this situation. Except this one, except this one, except this one. Because universals, while dangerous and difficult things, and I don't like them applied to me, we sure do need them because they ground us. They ground us to truth. And in this case, they ground us to the character of God. So friends, if this is true, there's nothing that love cannot face. Let me ask you, is there a relationship you need to reconsider? Is there a reason that might actually be an excuse that you might need to step back and say, I need to rethink this one. I want to walk in the same love that God has given to me, and I'm not going to like it, but I need to rethink this one. At the end of the day, I am so grateful for the love of God for me and the love of God for you, and I'm right next to you with how ridiculously hard it is to think about doing the very thing that I'm asking you to consider. The only other option is to water it down and go part way in, which you can do. But in that case then, I walk from God because loving is walking with him. Tough stuff. Next week, we'll finish this up and relieve some tension. We won't have to love anymore after two weeks from now. Will you pray with me? Father, thanks for the time that we can get here together this morning. Um, hard things to consider because these have to do with relationships. These have to do with habits that we form. These have to do with labels um, and assumptions we have about people. We have chosen to avoid some people for a long time. We have chosen to categorize people. Uh, we have chosen uh, to judge people, and it makes our lives easier when we know who the good guys are and the bad guys are. And this love messes all of that up. It makes it extremely messy. It forces us to consider if I'm really living with a good reason or if I'm giving myself an excuse to choose not to always protect, hope, trust, and persevere. It's a fair question to ask how to do this. It leads to rich conversation. I pray that you would help us to ask that, to lead to good and healthy conversations. I have no interest here in increasing abusive relationships 
or sheltering people from accountability and responsibility for pain that has been caused. But we do need to ask, am I always doing this? Do I have a drawback to the ideal? So I pray that you would work in our own hearts to soften us, to remember again for each of us how rich, how deep, how high, how wide is the love of God, that which we can never be separated from. And I pray that you'd help us to extend even just a portion of that to people that we prefer not to. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.